0: Hello White Sox fans and happy Sunday fun day from the Sox on tap crew. I am Johnny Nani. I have NWI Steve with me tonight. We are here to break down the last two games of the series between the White Sox and the Reds. A 5-0 winner on Saturday night, a 7-3 loss on Sunday. We'll get in there the nitty gritty on both of these games um, and it'll be a good show here. Sunday fun day. Uh, to gotta, gotta bring a little fun here. Steve, how you doing my man? Hey, yo,
1: Johnny, doing all right. You know, it's a nice little Sunday evening here, wrapping up the week. It's getting ready. Knowing that uh, Sox got a chance to clinch a division title here this week coming up. So not too bad.
0: Hey, that is a good prospect to have here. Usually we're talking about how the September call-ups are doing at this point in a normal season. So very exciting uh, indeed. Like you had said that the White Sox have a chance to clinch a division. Obviously already clinched a playoff spot um, with that win on Thursday over Minnesota. So encouraging stuff. Uh, We've got some encouraging news and some discouraging news to discuss today, Steve. Like I'd mentioned, uh, going over both Saturday's win and then Sunday's loss here. But before we dive into any of that, listeners, please make sure you go into on tap for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. You can follow us on Twitter at socks on tap and the main account at on sportsnet. So Steve, let's start off with the good five. Uh, 0 a little power surge on Saturday night against the reds. Initial thoughts from uh, that game on national TV.
1: You know, obviously the first thing is the bats coming out, dropping the boom on, on the reds here, hitting five solo home runs. Um, I think the one that might, grabbed the the biggest headlines is the fact that nomar mazara did the unthinkable he finally hit a home run something that a lot of us weren't sure was going to happen here in (laughs) 2020 and um he he did the unthinkable and i know i tweeted out after it happened that i you know i the infamous quote from uh the 1988 world series i don't believe what i just saw and it was really something special there and then timmy hitting a couple of them and then you know like like I was talking about a couple of days ago here, Timmy and Abreu, they are just playing off of each other here in this battle for who's going to be the American League MVP. It seems like they're always trying to go out there and one-up each other, and, uh, you know, Timmy got that second one, and Jose didn't want to be left out on the fun there, so he had to get one in himself there in that big eighth inning to uh, cap off that 5 nothing win, so that was certainly nice to see the bats come out. Um, and then also... Diamond Dallas Page, or excuse me, Diamond Dallas Keitel. <laughs> yes, <laughs> M- making the return here to the mound for for the Sox, um, getting you know himself tuned up here for the playoffs. Um, wasn't particularly sharp in in this first outing back here. A um, little bit inefficient with with his pitches, falling behind in some counts and, and walking a few hitters. But first time out there on the mound in 13 days, a little bit to be expected there. So. Just got to go out there, just got to get the arm loose and and build some innings back up and build the stamina back up and get ready for September 30th.
0: Definitely, Steve. Um, just going back to uh, Nomar Mazara because I, I think you speak for pretty much all of White Sox uh, fans everywhere when you tweeted that out. That I don't believe what I just saw. I couldn't either. Um, I, you know, thought it was a dream. I mean, I, I felt like a lot of the season's been a dream. I'm just so uh, not used to seeing uh, quality White Sox baseball, and this is just an instance that uh, you know ha- happened in here with Nomar Mazara finally hitting the home run, and you know the untapped potential finally <laughs> coming through uh, at least for a glimmer here uh, so that, that was exciting um And then all solo home runs uh, in this one, you know, sure, you'd like to get get a few more runners on to up the score a little bit more. But, hey, that's all they needed. The White Sox pitching was solid on Saturday night. Uh, You'd mentioned Dallas Keuchel uh, returning from the injured list. Um, I agree. A little bit of inefficiency, a little bit of wildness. I think he walked three uh, on Saturday night, only went four innings. But he did strike out seven. So he's usually not a huge strikeout guy's number. So it is nice to see. Um, I was having this conversation with one of my friends, actually, uh, when I was out at the bar on Saturday night, and Giolito, you'd say, is you know the best when you're talking talent stuff-wise, yeah, and your ace, he's the best starter, but Dallas Keuchel is the most consistent. Um, I think that's a very uh, true statement there, and you saw it, and I like the ability, because you've seen some stuff get out of hand early uh, with Giolito if it's not on, whereas even Keuchel can fight through a night uh, where, where the stuff is not totally there and still uh, give the White Sox a great chance to win. And obviously he did that uh, in his four innings on Saturday night. So um, just running this one down, how, how this happened, fifth inning, Mazzara, uh, as you had mentioned, the first White Sox uh, home run for him. And then the first White Sox home run in this game uh, that came in the fifth, like I mentioned, that was 1-0 Sox. Timmy uh, hit a solo shot of his own in the fifth inning, 2-0 Sox. And then back-to-back-to-back uh, to back to back home runs in the eighth inning, Timmy, Yasmani grandal and jose abreu Uh, i just had to comment i know you're a big fan of him too i'm a yas man i've said that multiple times both on twitter and here on the podcast how sexy was that bat drop
1: i tell you what man i think a a good bat drop in a lot of cases is better than a bat flip you know i had this discussion with a couple of people on on twitter just on this very topic and the one thing that I brought up was, you know, the bat flip can be really impactful if you're in a dramatic situation like what we saw with Jose Batista in the playoffs mm-hmm. against the Texas Rangers. And I think that was 2016, um, you know, that was kind of the bat flip around the world there. But the the bat drop and you know Grandal has that really down to a tee. We've seen that from Mancada in the yes. past as well. Here. Um, so, so it must just be something about a smooth left-handed stroke that is conducive to a nice quality
0: bat drop. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. I think it's both. It's similar where they finish uh, when you're talking about that follow through on the swing for both Grandal and Mancada. Unfortunately, haven't seen it uh, as much from Mancada, but we all know um, the uh, struggles that he has gone through this season so far. But uh, great to see from Yaz there because uh, it seems like people are always uh, on him. It's, and it's it won't it won't even be something that he does. James McCann will just come in and have himself a solid game, and then people are pinning it back to Yaz. I mean, like, oh, that's not my catcher. Uh, when referring to grandall So uh, I'm sick of it. Uh, I like seeing the backdrop. I, I hope that was a backdrop for the uh, Twitter commentators and armchair experts over here. So um, that about does it from uh, Saturday night's game. Um, after Keiko, it was Foster, uh, impeccable, uh, two innings, uh, it's all spotless, struck out two. He's got 1.88 1 8 8 ERA. That guy has just been um, a totally unexpected but very effective piece of this bullpen. Cody Hoyer, another guy that you could put in that category, comes in, has a clean inning of his own, did walk one, but he struck out one as well. Uh, Jimmy Cordero, Jimmy Biceps, a uh, clean inning for him, two strikeouts. And Jace Fry uh, closing it down um, with one clean inning of his own, did walk one. But um, another solid outing for, I believe, that is his second time out from being back from the injured list. So, uh, you have any final thoughts from Saturday before we jump into Sunday?
1: Saturday, that was just a nice, crisp, clean win for the, for the White Sox. Doing it against Trevor Bauer, a guy that looks like he is the front runner for the National League Cy Young. So for the Sox to go out there and find a way to scratch two runs across against Bauer there. Um, you know, that's pretty big because that's the caliber of pitcher that they're gonna have to beat here in a couple of weeks if they are going to make a run deep into into October and and try to push towards getting to a World Series here. So, you know, a lot of people like to talk about how. You know, when you get into the postseason, that, you know, you can't be reliant on, on the home run. And I actually think it's really become the opposite the last couple of years because the fact of the matter is, with as dominant as starting pitching and relief pitching has been, and the prevalence of teams bullpenning over the last couple of years, when, which really started with the Kansas City Royals back in 2014, 2015, you're not going to piece together three and four hits in an inning. So really, you're, you're going to have to find a way to get a guy on base, whether it's a single or a walk, and then you got to hit that two and three run homer because that's how you're going to make a run deep in the postseason. And as Sox fans, those of us that are old enough to remember, we don't have to go back that far to realize that that's kind of how this team won the World Series in 2005 was hitting two and three run homers in October.
0: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that's just an excellent point overall there, Steve. You kind of stole the words out of my mouth and talking about having to beat top-notch starters like Trevor Bauer when it comes to the playoffs. But uh, totally with you. I mean, the most efficient way to score runs, what is it? It's a home run. So if they can keep that up. Uh, you know, obviously seeing the five solo shots gives you a lot of hope there. Um, and just the way that they've been able to do it uh, d- during their uh, very hot stretch uh, that they had been on leading up to this series. So um, nice to see, definitely. And we will keep an eye on that going forward. But um, it's time. We, we got to get into the bad. Unfortunately, Sunday, a 7 to 3 loss um, in, in this one. It was a Dylan C start. Uh, his command was not there, Steve. The story of Sunday's game was a damn walk per.
1: Yeah, you know, look, um, coming off of his last start against the twins earlier in the week, I talked a little bit when we did post game here, um, or, or, excuse me, when I did post game with balls, talked a little bit about some of the changes to his pitch mix that he had made utilizing his secondary offerings a little bit more. And I was interested, interested to see how he was going to respond and how he was going to follow up that performance. He goes out there in the first inning, has a nice clean 10 pitch first inning, three up, three down. And you're thinking, okay hey, you know, there might be some adjustments made here and and we might see some really good stuff. And one thing that I thought was particularly interesting was he was working exclusively from the stretch here today. And I think part of that maybe is a conscious effort by Cease and by the coaching staff to try to limit some of the movement and try to, Increase the chances of him having repeatability with his delivery because that's something he has really struggled with tremendously. So limiting the moving parts, um, trying to just keep his body in sync so that he can have a more repeatable delivery and improve that control and command. Through three batters, we're thinking, hey, maybe this, maybe this is going to be the key. And then it really all just unraveled as he showed really no command of any of his pitch offerings here today, just consistently falling behind hitters with great regularity, inability to locate the fastball in any count really. Um, he was able to get you know some strikeouts in there and, and he only gave up the one hit. But the fact of the matter is that he's just he's behind every guy 2-0, 2-1, 3-1. And eventually he's putting himself in position where he's loading the bases with free passes. And eventually it's gonna catch up to you even against a relatively light-hitting team like the Cincinnati Reds. And that's just something that can't continue here. And unfortunately, we're seeing far too much of this out of Dylan Cease.
0: Yeah, very well put there, Steve. I really don't have too much um, besides the numbers here to expand upon that. He went three innings today, like you had mentioned, actually no hits, no hits against Cease himself. Um, three earned runs, seven walks, yikes, that's the, that's the big red flag there. Uh, he did strike out five, as you had mentioned. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, agree that it's just behind, behind, behind all the time with him. Um, so I mean, it's going to bring up a discussion here and we'll get to it after I kind of run through how the scoring happened in this game. But Steve, the question is going to be, what do the White Sox do with him? Um, when it comes to playoff time here, so I would imagine you know he has one more start uh, here again with the series that they have coming up, but um, that'll be a discussion for as soon as we're done with this. Let me just run down how this uh, game unfolded. He um, was able to uh, you know bend but not break essentially um, in the first three innings, but the fourth is where it fo- uh, fell apart. Um, Barnhart grounded into a force out, uh, which scored Winker and make it one zero. Uh, Aquino. Uh, RBI ground out, 2-0 Reds, Suarez, uh, RBI walk, I believe this is off Ross Detweiler now at this point. point, um, 3-0 Reds, and then Mustakis with the 2 RBI single, 5-0 Reds, that was a big damage there, the big inning for the Reds today, um, where things pretty much fell apart for the White Sox. In the 5th, the White Sox did strike back though, um, Madrigal had an RBI ground out, make it 5-1, Abreu an RBI double, Mr. RBI machine, it was his 53rd of the year, uh, make it 5-2 at that point, and then uh, in the bottom of the 5th, though, Reds get a pair Back uh, with Aquino's uh, two run shot. And then uh, Edwin did add a solo shot of his own opposite field in the eighth inning uh, to make this final seven to three here. So, um, obviously, the big point of discussion here is Dylan Cease. And let's get back to that question, Steve. What do the White Sox do with Dylan Cease come playoff time? I
1: don't simply believe that you can put this team in a position where you are resting their fate on Dylan Cease. You know, if the way that things are, are playing out here, I just don't know how you can trust him with the ball in, in a pivotal postseason scenario. Um, I think we're pretty much at a point where Dane Dunning has solidified himself in that number three spot in the rotation. Um, he's a guy that he just, he's really the antithesis of Dylan Cease at this point. He goes out there, he pounds the strike zone. He has three pitches that he can locate in the zone. With consistency, obviously, he's had a couple of outings here where you know the command has wavered on him a little bit. But even when he doesn't have his pinpoint command, things do not go awry the way that they do for Dylan Cease in games like we saw here today. So you, know, you really would be looking at a spot where Dylan Cease would be asked to pitch the fourth game, potentially, of a series. And I think you're just really in a spot where you just can't rely on him to do that. I almost feel as though... If they are in a spot in, in an elongated series where if they have a 2 0 or excuse me, a 2 1 series lead, you, you probably are better off doing a bullpen game and, and utilizing Matt Foster as an opener in yep. there and, and trying to go about it that way. I just don't think that Dylan Cease is going to put this team in a position to win a pivotal game in October. I just don't trust him.
0: Yep, I really, really like uh, what you said there with that fourth option um, on on a situation like that. Um, And I'm not, you know, if anyone's listening to this podcast uh, continuously throughout the year, um, I've never been a huge fan of the strategy of bullpenning itself. But I always said, if it does, if that's your best chance, given the White Sox the best chance to win, I'm totally for it. Um, And that is definitely the case to me right now. Um, It's nice that, you know, obviously you never want to lose a game. That's the first and foremost. But second of all, uh, down the stretch here, since the playoff spot is already clinched, there's still a division lead there. Um, seeing it just for the last time to reaffirm it and know that you're making the right decision based on more data. Um, I think it was still, at least in a way, a roundabout way, I guess I'm justifying here. Um impactful to see Dylan Cease out there again, but basically just proving uh, to the the team and to fans that uh, he's not going to be that option there, uh, performed himself out of it. Um, uh, so I, I like your analysis of it, Steve. I would be on board with um, a Keiko giolito Dunning, I know it'll probably be flipped with Giolito first, but this would be me. Uh called Giolito, Dunning, and then uh Bullpen Day for that last one. So uh, I, I'm with you there. Will be interesting to see how it unfolds. Um, because uh, you know, like I said, he will get another start here uh, before this regular season comes to a conclusion. So um we shall see and we'll discuss that more further after his uh next uh start. But my last comment on this game, um, I kinda even in garbage time because Buzz not- we're talking about a lot of garbage time on Friday night too, uh, with that loss they had. Even in garbage time, uh, you're seeing relievers that are vying for themselves for a playoff spot here. Um, And and Steve Ciszek, once again, uh, a little bit rough. He he did not allow a run in in his outing, but he did walk one still just not looking, um, you know, like the Steve Ciszek that we thought we were acquiring, but good for Jose Ruiz. uh, Another, you know, name that we had uh, saw on Friday night. I thought he would just be up here to eat innings, but hey, two strikeouts and a clean frame again tonight, um, or excuse me, this afternoon, um, I think that bodes well for him, and he, he's making more of a case for himself, so uh, once again, more games to be played uh, down the stretch here, four against Cleveland, three against the Cubs to finish up, um, but I, I just you know, think it's interesting, and it's still worth seeing that, and then obviously Garrett Crochet uh, comes in and throws one scoreless, uh, no strikeouts today, but uh, still bringing it pretty uh, fast, so uh, you, you got a thought here, Let's uh, let's hear it
1: yeah so so a couple of things first um relating to the to the bullpen aspect of it, I think it's pretty clear that Steve Ciszek, um is not going to be a part of this thing come October. in fact, you know, at some point this week, whether it's tomorrow or Tuesday, Aaron Bummer is going to be back and You know, there's two guys in in this bullpen that I think are going to be casualties from that. I think McCray is going to be is going to be one of them. And I think Steve Seashack is going to have to be another one. And I think being able to bring Aaron Bummer back, if he is close to what we all know and what we expect him to be, this is going to have a tremendous impact on this bullpen and allow everyone to slot back another inning. Um, and you know, with Evan Marshall getting the uh, the week off with the phantom shoulder injury here, yes, um, yeah. and, you know, hopefully he comes back strong for for the postseason here. The bullpen could actually be set up pretty well, and especially with with Bummer if he's able to be that multi inning weapon that we know he can be. Now all of a sudden, Rick Renteria has a lot more options, and that puts him in a better position to do things like utilize a bullpen game with. Matt Foster as an opener in a Game 4 scenario instead of having to rely on Dylan Cease. Um, and then Jose Ruiz, you know, you, you talked about him. Listen, I've been one of the biggest Jose Ruiz fans. I actually saw him pitch down in Birmingham with the Barons in 2018, and I remember walking away from from that outing, even though he blew a save in that one, just being amazed at the stuff that that was there. It hasn't translated to this point here in his brief... Uh, stints with with the White Sox at the major league level but he's looked very solid here in two relief outings here this this past week so I he's a guy I've always had a lot of hope for and and the the physical stuff is is there and it's eye popping especially when you see it up close in person mm-hmm. so I, I very much would like to see him right, right the ship and have the opportunity to be a guy in this bullpen both later this year and into the future Um Garrett Crochet, I mean, that, that's another guy. Look, the stuff, is, again, with him, that is absolutely eye-popping, coming from the left-hand side, hitting triple digits. We haven't really seen the slider much to this point here, but we know, um, or, or I should say we, we've been told that, it, that it's there. If this guy is able to get the ball anywhere near the strike zone, just with, with his funky delivery there, coming from the left side with triple digits, I mean, that could be a serious weapon coming out of the bullpen right there. So there could be a lot of options for Rick Renteria to utilize there. And then one negative point that that I want to talk about here a little bit, and this is something you and I were were kind of joking around a little bit on on Twitter earlier here today. The first inning, I got to go back to this. Mm -hmm. Nick Madrigal on third base, the sack fly to shallow center field to Brian Goodwin not scoring on that play. This is another boneheaded base running mistake by nick Madrigal here we've seen several of these from him here in in his first initial stint at the major league level and this is something that he simply can't afford to do that's a that's a play that is hit to shallow center field he's got to be on the bag ready to tag because if that falls in he's going to score but it you were in a position where goodwin had to dive in order to catch that ball so the likelihood of him making that dive and in one smooth motion, getting to his feet and making a quality throw just simply is not there. It's something small, something that's not going to show up in a box score, but that's something that can cost you in a playoff game when 90 feet can lead to a run.
0: Yeah. I You put it perfectly there, man. Um, I, I, just, I it had a, it irked me a little bit uh, on the uh, broadcast when Steve Stone, it, it was before that, I believe, before that play happened, but they're talking about Nick Madrigal's high baseball acumen. And it just goes to show you that even the announcers aren't always 100% uh, on top of uh, all the trends, and you look at a full body of work. Um, we've seen the base running, the one that he got injured on very earlier in the year, shouldn't have been going there uh, in the first place. Um, and, and then, you know, I said I was lucky, before that, how he got to third, it was a Jose Abreu single, and I said he's lucky that Abreu hit it softly because it went any uh, harder like that one back in Milwaukee to Avi Garcia in center field. He would find it his- a way to get thrown out at third and then of course you know he didn't he made it third safely but then obviously not tagging up on that ball that you had just mentioned that play there um i believe he's very jittery out there and i think he's trying to do a little too much to compensate for um maybe some negative perceptions that people have about it but it's costing him and his team
1: it's little man syndrome
0: that's, yeah, basically I was dancing around the point, but you, you said it very well. That's essentially what it's getting at there, and um, you just got to be smarter. And if you do have that high baseball acumen, kick it back in the gear, man. Like, let's let's be smarter about these things uh, and make the fundamental plays because that that's like high school stuff, Steve, that, that he's messing up at the major league level. And it's just, you know, it could cost you in a big situation, and that would be very, you know, it's like you said, not going to show up in the box score today we're probably some of the only ones really discussing it in depth here. Um, But it could cost you in in a big situation when every run counts in a postseason game. So um, just something that he's going to have to clean up. And luckily uh, it had been a couple of weeks since we really saw any glaring mistakes like that from him on the base pass. So it looked like things are getting better, but this is just kind of a chilling uh, reminder that it's still there just with the way uh, he carries himself and the mentality, I think, overall. Uh, And, you know, this is just us, you know, giving our, uh, you know, analysis as we're watching the game here. But uh, I, I really do think it's some sort of compensatory measure. So um, yeah, that's my final thoughts on it here. Um, once again, Steve, if you have any final thoughts, you go ahead. But this is a 7-3 to White Sox loss, and we are on to Cleveland, uh, completing the Ohio leg uh, of this road trip. Yeah,
1: no, I think we've hit everything here on this game. Let's, uh, let's talk about going on to Cleveland and wrapping up this division.
0: So, yep, uh, this will be a uh, 5-10 start on Monday, September 21st uh, against the Indians. Uh, You know, it's to they do the weird earlier hour start time. So if you're tuning in at 6 or 7, you're going to be late, 5-10, get it on there. It'll be on NBC Sports Chicago. Uh, The Indians are 3-7 and over their last 10, Steve, but they did take 3-4 of at Detroit this weekend. So that, um, you know, a trend that were losses from, I believe, the end of a Kansas City series that they just looked very, very flat in. I uh, got swept into two games set by the Cubs uh, and they did drop one against Detroit this weekend, but it was a four game series. They took three of the other ones that one loss coming on Saturday. So, uh, starters in this one will be Dane Dunning versus Aaron Savale for the Indians Dunning 2-0, 2-3-3 ERA, 28 strikeouts in 27 innings. Last time out was Tuesday against Minnesota. He went seven innings, three hits, one earned run, two walks, seven strikeouts, his best outing of the year by far. Um, for Dane Dunning, it's nice that we've been able to say that about him seemingly after every outing. Uh, it's really nice to see that from Dane Dunning. Uh, on the other hand, Aaron Savali, 3-5 this season, three eight zero ERA, 59 strikeouts in 64 innings. Uh, last time out was Wednesday against the Cubs. He went six innings, seven hits, two earned runs, three walks, three strikeouts. So what are we expecting from this series opener in Cleveland, Steve?
1: You know, I think it's going to be a very low-scoring game here overall. Uh, Savali has pitched pretty well against the Sox overall. Uh, to this point in in the season here. Um, I think Dane Dunning is going to do what we expect from him. He's going to go out there. He's going to pound the strike zone. I know I sound like a broken record with this when I'm talking about Dane Dunning, but this really is the key with him, and this is why he has been so successful to this point at the major league level, because he goes out there and he is working ahead of hitters, allowing him to utilize his secondary offerings because he has that quality fastball command. The Indians, as we all know, are a very light-hitting team. They're one of the worst offenses in the major leagues. And I expect Dane Dunning to treat them as such. I expect him to just go out there and say, here it is, boys, hit it if you can, because odds are you probably can't. And <laughs> keep it. the Talks in this game, give this offense an opportunity for Sabali to make a mistake because. We, both, we all know that the Sox have more firepower at their disposal here. If Dunning is able to keep this thing close, the Sox, with one swing of the bat, can swing this
0: game open. That's a pretty complete synopsis there, Steve. I'm with you on the Indians lineup being very weak. Uh, White Sox, obviously, uh, the uh, advantage in firepower here. And uh, Dane Dunning just looks like he's getting better and better and better. And it's very encouraging, very exciting to see from the rookie here. So um, I expect exactly what you just said. Uh, hit it if you can. Uh, good luck, Cleveland, because you're probably not. And the White Sox are going to win like, something like 3-1. to one. Um, that would be a prediction here if I was going for it. I know we don't usually offer predictions, but that sounds about right here. Uh, I, I can see that White Sox doing just enough. I know they could score more and it could get up to like, you know, in the five, six, seven run range. But uh, like you said, Sav- Savali is no slouch either. Um, I, I don't think the uh, numbers, you know, overall indicate how well he has done, uh, especially against the White Sox specifically. So um, they'll have to get the bats going again. Uh, you know, we kind of had a, uh, they were off Friday, came back Saturday off Sunday uh, for the most part. So if you're coming back, uh, this should be the on switch again uh, if we're going every other day here uh, in this post clinch uh, sort of scenario where they have been a little bit of a hangover series obviously in Cincinnati but um, back to business got a division to win here so um, I'm looking forward to taking the three or four here that's honestly if I were going for a serious prediction I think the boys kick it back into high gear here um, and just Cleveland doesn't score a lot of runs so that's that's my analysis of it um, like I said 5-10pm uh, start here on Monday night do you remember the 21st night of September, because it will be. So that's when this game is. My pick to click, Steve, um, I'm going to let you do yours first. I, I need to think about this for a few more seconds.
1: All right, so with Savali going on the mound, I am going to go ahead and I'm going to take Luis Robert. So I've been harping on this for, I want to say, maybe the last week or so with how pull-heavy he has been at at the plate. And teams have been just abusing him particularly with hard-breaking stuff on the outer third of the plate, and he is just trying to pull everything, and he's hitting a lot of soft ground balls, rolling over everything, and we're seeing the numbers overall have really taken a dive here in the month of September. However, his last at-bat on Saturday night, we saw him actually hit a fly ball to right field. Same thing again here, first at-bat today fly ball, fly out to right field. So if he's, he's starting to let the ball get a little bit deeper on him and starting to drive the ball the opposite way. He was able then to, to follow that up with a couple of walks here today. So to me, that's usually the first sign of a hitter that is starting to come out of it, starting to see the ball a little bit better. Um, late August and maybe the first couple of days in September when Aloy was in his phone. that was the same thing that we started to see with him. He had a couple of fly outs to the opposite field and then all of a sudden the switch flipped, and he just started hammering the ball again. I think Luis Robert is really close here and I think tomorrow is the day he breaks out.
0: I really like that analysis, Steve. It's nice when you can have a reasoning uh, behind your pick here. And I got some reasoning behind mine too. And I think for the sake of all Sox fans, they hope you're right on it. You want Luis Robert to get back into that groove in this last week, of the regular season heading into the postseason, because he could be one of those guys that helps supplement uh, with power and home runs uh, when you need it in October. So I uh, like your pick a lot, but um, I harped on him a lot earlier. We both did. Uh, I'm going to go to Nick Madrigal, though, because I am, first of all, I'm a believer in comeback performances and second chances. And um, second of all, if you remember last time, he had an extremely boneheaded play at Pittsburgh. Uh, he came back the next day and hit a very clutch uh, two RBI single uh, in that game. And I know this one's probably not as talked about, and it wasn't as egregious as the error in Pittsburgh, but he knows it. He, he knows it in his head, I'm pretty sure. And if he doesn't, the coaching staff will let him know um, because, you know, they got coaches that are there specifically for that. So they'll let him know. So I think that, you know, I talked about the kind of compensatory mentality uh, that he has hurting him and stuff like that. That can also be a key for him uh, and a positive when he channels that and really bears down uh, in a bounce back performance like that. So I'm going to go with Nick Madrigal, even though it wasn't completely egregious today. It was still a mistake. And I think he compensates for it with a pair of singles uh, tomorrow, hopefully with some runners on. So uh, that'll be mine uh, for this one. So, uh, any last thoughts for the listeners, Sunday Funday, uh, before we close down here, or a shout out? Uh, we got shout outs too. Uh,
1: you know, Shout out, I want to give one to, um, I, I know you're not a big wrestling guy, but I want to give a shout out to um good guy on, on Twitter, Dick the Knife, at Saves Tuesday. He's the guy that does a lot of the NWO wrestling GIFs, or, 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 or excuse me, uh, Photoshop's with the current day Sox players here. So I know I enjoy them quite a bit. So, you know, seeing a lot of those uh, 90s era, you know, WWF and and NWO era attitude guys with current day Sox players mixed in there. It's something that, you know, I get a great deal of enjoyment out of. So definitely give that guy a follow here, especially if you're a hardcore, you know, 90s attitude era wrestling fan like I am.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Steve, it's not that I don't uh, like it, or, or I'm, I'm just not a fan. I never got into it that much. I was more just, you know, uh, growing up, it wasn't really mine. I know you're you're a little bit older than me, so a little bit more relevant for you, and you can understand a little bit better what's going on there. So I just never got into it. But I will say that having you and Buzz around me more consistently now over this past, you know, uh, over a year that On has been in existence, uh you guys both big fans, uh, and, and it becomes a thing. I start seeing Diamond Dallas Keitel. Uh, I, I barely even knew before this whole thing started you barely even knew who uh, Diamond Dell's page was. So, uh, I'm learning Steve, you guys are, you guys are ingraining me into it a little bit more. So, uh, yeah. And Steve, uh, Dick, the knife did help you contribute on a few of those articles. So while we're on a little wrestling tangent here, go on tap in the general category there, Steve wrote a dream, uh, matches, uh, article, uh, with assistance from Dick, the knife. And it was great. Yeah. I edited it. And like I said, I didn't even watch all that stuff growing up, but I thought it was highly entertaining, uh, the way that they described it. So, uh uh, just doubling down on your shout-out there. And then uh, mine, though, will <laughs> be today. Uh, it happened just before we got under record, and that is uh, Aussie Sox fan Jason Hosking. He has been a regular shout-out here. But he, um, I think we have discussed this on here before, but he brought it up again because it looks like he was having himself a little Sunday fun day, maybe enjoying a few beverages uh, today after the Bears and White Sox game. But he you know, has his hat off to the side and he takes a you know a selfie picture and tweets it at me and socks on tap and says you know cock tats are for uh, i forget what he said you know the um it's cock tats are for closers is what tony says when column comes in but uh jason misunderstood us uh you know he's australian so maybe the accent is just a little bit different for him he thought we were saying cock tats like tattoos on the neck like so uh he he just tweeted that reminder at me again today and it makes me laugh every single time so uh cock hats are cock tats are for closers and then jason the cock tats are for closers hilarious uh always good laugh could use it after a white socks game like today so um
1: you gotta you gotta gotta love good old awesome socks man i mean you know jason is one of the funniest dudes if if you ever meet him in in person mm -hmm. he's just an absolute trip to to talk to and you know i know the first the first time i met him um you know the accent is thick you know it, it, it's it's definitely thick and and you can definitely misinterpret some things that he says but he's just a good dude and, and he is an absolute hilarious person to to hang out with and, and to watch a game with so now, Jay- Jason, Jason's an absolute blast.
0: <laughs> I, I second that wholeheartedly, Steve, and I cannot wait until we are back uh, able to go and attend games. You know, watching games with them is fun. Uh, he is always a regular. So um, another reason he shouted out, he is always a regular at Socks on Tap tailgates whenever uh, he and his buddies from Iowa make the trip. And they always make it a point to stop by when they see the flag, have some beers with us, smoke some darts. It's great. It's always a great time with him. So, um that uh, you know uh, Aussie Sox fan uh, on Twitter Uh, just shout out to you man and and, uh, Dick the Knife too for um, all all the wrestling content that uh, is blended with White Sox content that's great I I love when someone can be creative uh, in their own ways I like to try and do that with uh, Family Guy, Trailer Park Boys, my uh, TV shows of interest and stuff and kind of bleed in reactions and it's cool to see everyone have their own way of uh, mixing their passions so um, those are some good shout outs here for this Sunday Funday episode so once again, re- recapping what went on in this one. It was a 5-0 White Sox win with a power surge on Saturday night. Five solo shots. Uh national TV too. Nice to see that one. Sunday, unfortunately, a seven to three loss. Ceases command. Uh, and then what we will do with him in the playoffs, the big points of discussion for that one. Tomorrow's game is five ten PM Central Time, uh, September twenty first in Cleveland against the Indians. Let's go win a goddamn division, Steve. You still
1: Stole my damn thunder there, Johnny Nani. It's time. It's been 12 years. Let's win the thing, and let's make the Indians watch. Nothing will be better. Let's wrap this shit up.
0: Yes, and Steve, this is now now that we've brought this up really quick, I know it's a little bit different circumstance because in 2005, we clinched, I know they're very different teams, but we clinched a division in Detroit and then we went into Cleveland in what you would expect to be a hangover series and beat the piss out of them the last series of that year. For this, sure, it's not the division that you already have, but you already have a playoff spot for the first time in a while, so it's a big moral victory for the White Sox. Now it's time to go and absolutely lay it to them. Here's
1: here's the thing that a lot of people don't talk about in 2005 in that series. And I'm glad you brought this up. So the Sox went into that series already having wrapped things up. The Indians actually were in position to be the wild card going into that weekend series. And the Sox swept their asses right out of the playoffs. And I remember Ozzie ran the infamous B team lineup out there on Friday night with Joe Borcher, Ross Glode, Chris Widger, Pablo Ozuna and he he did that for much of the entire weekend just getting guys rested up and the Sox went out there and they swept their punk asses right out of the damn playoff and it was too sweet.
0: Yes, that it was. That's a very, very good point on the specifics there. Uh, I just remember going there and being so ecstatic after a clincher at Detroit, and that clincher was on my birthday back then. So playoffs will start on my birthday this year, which is exciting. But uh, yeah, it it, it was a domination there, and that also completed their uh, fourth eight game winning streak of the season. And obviously they turned on another one uh, a, a after the loss to the angels in the playoffs to close that uh, championship series and world series down. So uh, just some fun notes and nuggets from that. And hopefully we can keep those vibes rolling uh, in Cleveland as the white Sox prepare for a four game series here. So um, that about does it for this episode of socks on tap. Uh, once again, make sure you go to on tap for all your Chicago sports, literature, and podcasting needs following us on Twitter at socksontap and at OnTapSportsNet. If you enjoy this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Breaker, doesn't matter. We would just appreciate it. So uh, last thing is that football season's going on. Uh, You know, the Bears, they're 2-0. It was an ugly one today, but they got it done. Uh, If you enjoy Sox on Tap, you'll really like Bears on Tap. If you're a football fan as well, those guys do an excellent job uh, with post-game shows, midweek analysis, and then articles aplenty about your Chicago Bears, just like we do for the White Sox here at Sox on Tap. So that's it. I'm done blowing hot air for tonight, Steve. Let's go and win the damn division White Sox forever.
1: White Sox for life.
0: Are you a sports card collector? Are you looking to buy
1: or sell your vintage cards? If so, contact Josh over at Midwest Vintage Cards. With over 25 years of experience in the field, Midwest Vintage Cards will pay you cash for your collection. Check out their eBay store by searching Midwest Vintage Cards or follow them on Instagram at Midwest Vintage Cards. Contact Josh at 847-602-8604 or email him at josh at midwestvintagecards.com to get your quote today.